Welcome to Sexplicit, a podcast which offers free, quality and up-to-date sexuality education. In this podcast series, we will be talking about sex and sexuality explicitly. No topic is too taboo and no question is inappropriate. This is a safe and educational space to explore your deepest curiosities. My name is Anissa Varaste. I'm a clinical sexologist and this is Sexplicit. Welcome to another episode of Sexplicit. If you're listening to this episode, you may be familiar with the concept of the five love languages. And if you're not, that's okay. I will be explaining about what they are. Let's start with a story. A couple who I'm going to call Lucy and Jake came to see me for therapy. They were going through a rough time and wanted to seek help and try things out one more time before they split. As they started to tell me about their relationship, Jake burst out, I know her love language is words of affirmation and I give them to her although it's really hard for me. I even write notes for her on the mirror or send cards to her workplace. Still, it seems she constantly finds fault with me. Nothing is ever enough. Lucy, who was at this point flustered and about to shout, responded, Yes, you do all that. And I do your love language too. I always find ways to touch you, even though that is the last thing I want. I hold your hand, rub your neck. But when I need to talk about something that is bothering me, you get outraged before I can even get the words out. This is not the first time I'm hearing partners refer to five languages of love and that despite the effort to quote-unquote speak the other person's language, things don't seem to work. What these people are referring to is the book The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts, which was written in 1992 by an evangelical Christian pastor, Gary Chapman. Basically, the premise of the book is that we feel loved and appreciated when love is expressed in our particular love language. And those love languages are words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, physical touch and gifts. Since 1992, this book has sold more than 10 million copies and has been a New York Times bestseller. So the concepts resonate with many people, and I will explain why I think this is the case. I can't, of course, talk on behalf of the author, but based on my understanding of the book, the intention of Gary Chapman most likely was to teach people to be more emotionally literate, which is awesome. We as a society are not emotionally literate enough and as a whole have very low emotional intelligence. So recognizing that your partner may interpret actions differently than you intended is really important. So for a lot of people this is very helpful. But when it comes to emotional and relational literacy, this is only one basic concept. 
Another important point which this book raises is the understanding that my partner is not me. So the ability to really see our partner as other and find ways to understand and make room for someone who is not like us. Chapman encourages efforts to speak love in our partner's language, for example, not in our own, and to give not just what we want, but what our partner wants. So let's get to why the concept of love languages may be hurting your relationship. There was a study done which asked couples to answer some questions about each other and they found out that couples were right about each other only 35% of the time. So we're really bad at guessing what our partner's needs are or wants are or basically bad at mind reading. But when they asked the couples, what do you think your accuracy rate would be? Most people said at least 80%. So one criticism of the love languages premise is that it promotes mind reading as opposed to actually talking to your partner. So making an assumption about what your partner's needs are in a given moment based on a limited understanding of their love language. So making an assumption that your partner always wants words of affirmation because this is the love language instead of asking them and paying attention to them to see what it is that they want right in this moment in time. It may be something completely different. The second reason is that, in my view, the application of love languages doesn't promote love, but codependency. It is fine that people have preferences and certain things that they like to experience, but the book tells us good relationships are the ones that your feelings of happiness and self-worth has to come from another person, and this can be very, very problematic. So essentially, it promotes the idea that it is our partner's job to meet our emotional needs. And if our emotional needs aren't being met, it's our partner's fault. They are doing something wrong. Chapman describes an inner love tank that we're always working to keep full, saying that our, quote, misbehavior, withdrawal, harsh words, and critical spirit occur because of that empty tank, unquote. This can be problematic because many people are waiting for their partner to fill that tank. But as a relationship therapist, my professional opinion is we need to fill our own tank first and foremost. Do you use words of affirmation, gifts, touch and quality time with yourself? Another point is that what if someone's love language is touch and the other person feels touched out because, for example, they take care of young children and don't feel like touching another human, or if they generally don't like physical contact as much as the other person? What should these partners do in this instance? Which, interestingly, is the case for many people in partnered relationships. The idea behind love languages and many other relationship self-help books is based on co-regulation. And this means that 
when we are distressed or when we want to feel safe or loved and appreciated, we go to another person for a hug, to talk, or just some, spend some time with them. This is great. It's a great tool in our toolkit of healthy relationships, but it's only one. What if you feel low and distressed and your loved one or loved ones aren't physically or emotionally available? This is where self-regulation becomes very important. Self-regulation is the ability to monitor and respond to your own emotional needs. There are many strategies for self-regulation, but some of the most common ones are meditation. One of the descriptions of meditation, according to Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, founder of Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, is, quote, the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. It sounds like a very simple thing to do, but it is very difficult. But it can get easier, like anything else, by practice. By engaging in skills like meditation or focused breathing or gratitude, mindfulness helps us to put some space between ourselves and our reactions and therefore leading to better focus and feelings of calmness and relaxation. So this is one of the things that I encourage people to do, to develop some mindfulness strategies, focused breathing, practices of gratitude and other mindfulness-based activities. In a 2019 review of 30 research studies, mindfulness was shown to improve attention, which helped to regulate negative emotions and higher ordering thinking, so our logical brain. One of my personal favorite apps to practice mindfulness is Headspace. It has three to five minute exercises and courses, short courses for gratitude and managing difficult emotions such as anxiety or stress. So this is one of the ways that you can practice mindfulness. Okay, back to five love languages. Another criticism of five love languages is that they can change. Active listening is an essential part of any healthy relationship, romantic or non-romantic, any human relationship. Our love language can change over time and in specific life situations. If we don't know how to not just speak to each other, but also how to really listen to each other, we may be engaging in behaviors that no longer say, I love you, but now irritate the other person instead. So if, if we're not paying attention to our partner, we may miss the cues that our partner needs, for example, touch in this point in time. And we're giving them just words of affirmation and telling them only, I love you, I love you. It may feel very irritating for, the, for our partner. So an ongoing dialogue and active listening skills is essential in any successful relationship. There are multiple articles and YouTube videos and resources on the internet about active listening skills. And I highly encourage you to listen to them and practice them. 
The next point is that love languages cannot fix a relationship. Learning to speak each other's love language won't remedy toxic behaviors, nor will they fix our lack of communication. If you are not communicating about your needs, your desires, your fears with your partner, or actively listening to what they're saying, giving gifts, words, or acts of service won't address this core issue. We as humans love the idea of a quick fix. Human relationships, which can get even more complex within the context of a long-term relationship, don't have a quick fix. A relationship requires an entire toolkit, not just a single tool. So alongside touch, quality time, words and service, we also need honesty, trust, shared goals and values, active listening skills, and ways to repair and reconnect after inevitable conflicts. A flourishing relationship, a thriving relationship, begins with self-awareness and the mindful practice of knowing our own needs and desires and goals and values first, and then how to bring a healthier, clearer and more receptive and more mature self to our relationships, especially our most intimate ones. So here I have a few more suggestions to add to your toolkit for healthy relationships in addition to the five love languages if you want to continue to use them. The first one, which I mentioned earlier, but I want to reiterate, is that never assume you know your partner. Keep paying attention and being curious about our partner or the person in front of us, the people that we have relationships with, is really key to healthy relationships. So keep discovering each other. The more you each understand yourself and the other person, the better you will understand your dynamic and be able to continuously co-create a secure and engaged relationship or jointly agree to end that relationship if it's the right time. The other suggestion is assume the best in your partner and don't make the other wrong. They are just different. The way that we see the world, the way that we are, is not the quote-unquote right way. It's just familiar and it feels normal. But there is no normal. We're all individuals with individual histories and needs and life experiences which have created a unique individual in the present moment. And we will continue this process of creation throughout our whole life. So you can never know a person fully. You can never assume that you know everything about your partner. And they can't ever know you fully. So it's really important to bring that curiosity into the dynamics of the relationship and ask them and listen to them and reflect back on what they told you to show that you're hearing and you're understanding. So again, those active listening skills. The other suggestion is the idea of differentiation. And this is something that I see very often in my therapy room, that sometimes the concept of individuals has dissolved into this relationship, so people have merged into one. 
The other suggestion is how to work through conflicts. There is this misinformation or myth that that a perfect relationship doesn't have any conflicts. But that's not true. So if there are no conflicts in the relationship, that could be a sign that you're either seriously emotionally avoidant and not sharing your true feelings or that there is a major power differential in the relationship when one always feels fearful to express what they think, what they need. So there's always going to be differences because we're different people with different feelings and ideas and wants and needs. And this could be anything from small things throughout the day. What are you having for dinner? Who's picking up the kids from school? Two major life issues like parenting styles, where you want to live and migrating to another country. And of course, sexual preferences. So you will inevitably differ on many issues. And this is perfectly common, perfectly normal. Does that mean that you have to fight and have a fractured relationship? No, not at all. But it does mean that you have to develop your relationship skills so that you can handle differences well. One of the techniques that I teach my clients and I also use in my personal life is the idea that every human interaction has an element of intent and an element of impact. If you are having a difficult conversation about something with your partner and your partner makes you feel a certain way, first of all, you need to get curious about what their intent is. And most likely, their intent is not to cause you harm. Their intent could be that something is of high value to them and they want to bring across a point. So you need to first get curious about what their intent is by using active listening skills and being curious about what is my partner trying to tell me or what is the message behind the words and then verbalizing that realization. And once you do that, most often that defuses the tension that is going on because the other person realizes that you're actually listening and you're curious about their point of view and understanding them. But then you can also talk about the impact that the way that they've behaved has made you feel, for example. Here are a couple of examples. Your partner makes a joke that upsets you. So you think about what their intent may have been. And you know that most likely they didn't mean any harm. But it still stings. It still hurts. So their intent was lighthearted. But the impact is that you are feeling hurt. And you can verbalize this realization and share with them that I know that you know you wanted to lighten the mood here but it really upsets me and then you can also offer a different way of doing it you know in the future if you want to do this i ask you not to say it in this way or not to use these words another example is that a friend comes to you to talk about an issue that they're having at work 
and you offer them advice, but your friend is defensive and ends the conversation. Later, you learn that they felt like you were telling them they handled the situation poorly. So your intent was to offer an action plan, to offer support, but the impact was that they felt judged. And again, when we verbalize this realization that, you know, my intent was this, but I understand and I acknowledge that the impact on you was this, that diffuses um, the tension in the relationship significantly. Like anything else, these skills get easier and a second nature by practice. So go out and be playful and curious about each other and practice these skills. If you need any further support and help, I'm always more than happy to see you in my office or virtually online. We have come to the end of another episode. I look forward to hearing from you and your curious questions. Don't forget that you can submit your anonymous questions on Relate Sexology website. Do join me again for the next episode. Until then, it's goodbye for now.